What's going on? Everybody, you've got the card board coaches here with your boy, Coach Co. And ladies and gentlemen, I am the cartel. Sans le sunglasses. Uh, out of respect to our guest today, and I've also got a kit on uh, representing our guest. Uh, it's a Nike golf pullover, very fresh, no shades. So that's the cartel paying homage to our guest today. And who is that, Coach Co? Uh, our guest today is Mr. Patrick Ryan. That would be P. Ryan on Instagram, a prominent member of the sports card community. If you don't already follow him, you're missing out on some very valuable knowledge on a regular basis. Also, I mean, perhaps some of the rawest takes um, in the hobby and, and raw in a good way. He really doesn't stray away from his own kind of self-directed vision. Um, and uh, we actually want to talk a little bit about that today. But first, uh, Patrick, welcome, man. Great. Love being here. Love y'all's content. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. Appreciate it. So I think the best way to go about this is to kind of get your origin story because you've been in the hobby for quite some time um, and you're in different segments of the hobby, which I think is also really cool. And we'll speak to many listeners um, and you work in sports, correct? Yep. 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 Um, and it's all sort of interconnected. Uh, I would say, you know, I'm 42 years old, but I tell people I've been in the sports business world for 35 years. Reason being um, when a lot of kids were setting up lemonade stands, I sold baseball cards on the side of the road. Uh, and, uh, that kind of, kind of started my fascination with sports commerce and, and trading cards and all that good stuff, probably set up at my first card show when I was like 10 or 11. Um, and then it wasn't that long after that, like eBay became a thing. Um, you know, and eBay really changed the sports card market because, you know, in the U S if, if a card shop had one Ken Griffey junior 89 upper deck, like that was pretty rare. That was pretty special. Then eBay pops up and you realize that there's not just thousands of them, there's tens of thousands of them. Uh, so eBay was was very fascinating in the early days. Um, when I was selling on eBay mainly when I was 16, probably 16 through 21 years old, it was mainly autographs. So my buddies and I would chase autographs and we built great collections. But, you know, to finance an autograph collection of getting things signed and, and whatnot, you've got to sell stuff from time to time. So um I actually met my my business partner in the ticketing business out chasing autographs. And we kind of partnered up on some random autograph endeavors and expeditions and stuff. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate in college where, um, you know, it's very different than NIL today, but like players like Chris Sims and Adrian Peterson and, and Roy Williams, you know, they had, they were national figures playing in front of dozens of millions of people on TV every day, but there was no access to them. They didn't have autograph deals and so whereas like a uh, a uh, Joe Montana mini helmet might sell for $200 and Adrian Peterson mini, mini helmet would sell for $500 because of the dynamics of the market uh, where there's no supply. So I was, I was actually the first person to ever sell an Adrian Peterson signed mini helmet on eBay. I think I was the first to ever sell a Chris Sims mini helmet on eBay. And so very, you know, very focused on the kind of ebbs and flows of supply and demand um, and then that kind of led into, uh, you know, partnering with my, my, my buddy Ignacio in the, in the ticketing world and to talk about tickets for three days. I could talk about sports cards <laughs> and memorabilia for three days. Um, but what I'll do is I'll, I'll kind of fast forward to 
uh, you know, and I would say that, you know, like, like a lot of people after college, when you're, it was just hard to keep up with collecting. And also when I graduated, it was like LeBron's rookie year. And from, from my perspective, I'm like, man, this hobby has really changed. There's a box that costs $500 and has like five cards in it. Um, I didn't have any temptation or any inkling to sort of dabble in that market. Um, although those who did certainly it's paid off if they've, if they've held their, their inventory. Um, so it was really like kind of like a, a 10 year absence from the hobby. Uh, 2013 went to the national and uh, the national is an amazing, overwhelming sensory explosion um, on a lot of levels, especially when some of the people aren't wearing deodorant. Uh, <laughs> the, the smell is certainly, certainly there. Some things don't change. A lot of overweight, middle-aged men in sweatpants uh, who value their cars more than their, their hygiene or personal brands. But the characters make the hobby great in a lot of ways. Um, what, what caught my attention at the National um, was that uh, when, when we were collecting autographs, you'd never get a rookie card signed because it was considered, oh, you're defacing the rookie card. But then when, when grading happened, so like during my kind of off time in the hobbies, when grading really started to emerge, and so what people realized, look, if the card's not going to grade well, it's better off getting it signed. And so I started building a signed rookie card collection, 83 tops Ryan Sandberg, 87 tops Barry Larkin, 86 Fleer Kim Elijah Wan, just those kind of iconic cards. And, you know, it wasn't big, big money, but I, I enjoyed it. And it was something very unique. And this was back when, when autographed cards got put in the blue PSA slab. Um and so that sort of just kind of rekindled my passion and, and fascination with the market. Um, this kind of what kind of got me in as an investor was shortly thereafter, our company had a business, has a business relationship with the Milwaukee Bucks. And I really liked Giannis. And so I bought like, I don't know, maybe like $2,000 worth of Giannis cards and like just different variety, different brands and stuff. And like, as an investor, seeing those things double, triple, quadruple, I sold them because like as an investor for something to, you know, those kind of returns are absurd from like a traditional investment perspective. Yeah. Um, but like I sold them, I turned $2,000 into $15,000 and I realized, but then I just saw the cards continue to go up. <laughs> and um, I said, you know, the next time I have this sort of passion about a player, I'm going to do that, but do it a much on a much greater scale. So uh, so that was kind of in the back of my head. And then I started getting into wax. The first kind of wax I got back into was 2017 Topps Heritage. Um, and just Heritage was just such a cool product because of like the action images, the throwbacks. the, the And that was the 1968 Topps design, sort of it's called the burlap sack design. And it was actually the first time I ever bought a case of cards. I bought a whole case to rip by myself and got at the time it was maybe like a hundred dollar raw car, but the Aaron judge real one autographs. Yeah. Um, and so I just loved that wax and like just slowly the hobby just started building up a lot of momentum and a lot of steam. And uh, 2018 prism came out and I was just very bullish on Luca and I bought tons and tons of Luca as did other people. And so you fast forward, this stuff kind of comes out around November, Christmas time. It came out on time versus where Prism comes out now. Yeah. And me, like everyone else, sent in a bunch of raw Lucas and Trays and Trey Youngs and Aidens to get graded. And you get it. We all got everything back in April. And I blindly sent a bunch of it to Probstein, and they were selling for like forty to fifty bucks PSA ten Lucas. And I was like, Well, I, 
I, I didn't intend to buy more of this stuff, but I don't want, I'm not a seller at this price. And so I just started buying more and more, bought, bought parallels, bought silvers. And, and then, you know, as that accumulation was happening, fast forward to kind of Christmas of 2019 and Zion comes out and the Zion prisms, like Zion, people are chasing Zion like mad. And they're like, well, Luca's already sort of pr proven. So Luca's market's kind of going up with Zion's and then based on the pandemic hit. That's um, timing, lucrative timing. Very lucrative timing. And so like I started chunking out my, and there was other guys that I'd bought. Like, so I'd also kind of been stockpiling uh, in 2003 tops LeBron flagship PSA 10s, buying those at 150 to 300 a piece. Um, the 89 upper deck Griffey PSA 10 buying at those at like 300 to 500 a piece. Those are just things I was like, I think these are like blue chips. Yeah. Um, and um, basically as the pandemic happened, I had just this inventory that's kind of selling a couple cards every week. And um, at one point I sold, sold one of those flagship LeBrons for $9,000. And it's, it's obviously corrected since then. I sold one of my Lucas Silvers for like $10,000. It's corrected <laughs> since then. But I basically had a lot of capital to deploy into building, um, you know, kind of a, a a dream collection more or less, and like like slowly acquiring cards that, that you know you idolized as a kid. Fifty five tops Kofax, fifty two tops Mantle, sixty one Fleer, um, Wilt Chamberlain, uh, stuff like that. And so that's how I started diversifying. But then also, um, you know. Uh, I had built an Instagram page the, at the Peter Ryan collection, mainly because at the time I lived in a town home and I didn't, I didn't have a way to display my stuff. So, and I was also traveling a ton. So the page was really a way for me to just enjoy my own collection. Um, and I had like a hundred followers and there was very little engagement. I didn't care. It was more just about like me posting stuff for me to enjoy it. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, as, as the, as airlines shut down, um, I started kind of doing kind of mail days. I was probably on IG live pretty much like every day for some amount of time, just talking about random things and, and showing what I was buying and engaging with people. And, um, you know, uh, and also by this time, I did have a pretty diversified collection. I mean, I had, when I had, even though I wasn't actively collecting cards, maybe I was still going to card shows and getting autographs. So my passion for autographs was always there. At the National in 2013, 14, 15, 16, the autographs and the memorabilia were like a bigger driver of transactions than cards. And so, you know, I love the idea of like, oh, man, you know, I want to meet Joe Montana, get him to sign something. Well, what should I get him to sign? Oh, I'll get a Super Bowl ticket, you know. Um, Moises Alou, I want to get his autograph. I bought the ticket from the Bartman game where because Alou was interfered with by Bartman. I bought the ticket for $15. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? It's now maybe... It's a multi-thousand dollar ticket, I think. So I was buying tickets just as something to get signed by the players that would be sort of unique and cool, not like thinking it would ever become like what it's, the ticket market's become. Um, and at the 2019, I guess it was 2019, maybe it was 18 National, um, when I bought the Jordan Game News jersey behind me, that was sort of my first six-figure purchase um, and just got really lucky on a handful of fronts. Uh it's funny, the auction houses, like the national would be their biggest auctions. They would start with an online auction and they'd move it to like a room, free food, free booze, and everybody bidding and going nuts. 
They don't do that anymore because people are so distracted by the cards and trade night and all that stuff that like that jersey, Golden Auctions actually uses that jersey as an example as why they'll never do an auction during the national again because it went for about $100,000 below estimates. Um, and so I just got dumb, dumb lucky uh, with that thing. So going into the, the Instagram live era, I had random cool stuff, you know, and, and, and that I think people hadn't really seen before. And I was talking about stuff that people really hadn't talked about. But then I quickly started noticing like my DMs getting, I don't want to say my DMs were getting filled, but I probably had like, I don't know, 500 followers and, and some, some pretty decent engagement and people like kind of asking me for, for financial assistance and yeah. like finan financial guidance. And I was like, what the hell's going on? And like, <laughs> I'm picking up that like people had bought these cards that, that, that they went up a ton, but then they came back down a ton. And I wasn't really aware of Jeff Wilson's sports card investor until these people kind of told me that like, he would talk about a card or Gary V would talk about a card and the card would go nuts. And so there was this chatter, there were discord groups and there were Facebook groups like what cards Gary going to talk about next? What card is, is sports card investor going to talk about next? And, and I remember seeing Gary V at the national before all this. And like, I, I a hundred percent agree to this thesis. He was stacking top promo LeBron PSA tens, at like a thousand bucks. I was stacking the flagship at like a 200 bucks, right? We, similar thinking, just different products. And yeah. so I liked Gary V's initial sort of entrance into the hobby. Um, and I liked that he was giving it some exposure, but then like, they, and, and, I, and I, if you look back at sports card investors, like first six months of, of videos, like, yeah, they're, they're, I, I like this. I like that he's kind of providing a lot of education, but then like everybody's home doing nothing and everything got perverted. Um, and it, all of a sudden people are like, man, I got this card for 600. It's worth 200. My refrigerator just broke. I'm unemployed. I'm like, what in the world is happening here? And I'm like, I'm just trying to tell people like, I would get out of it now. Like, I, like I was like, and so it was funny around the same time too. Um, I had bought a couple Jordan 86 flare PSA 10s really to flip. I, I don't always do, I, I rarely do things exclusively as an investment. But for some reason, the market hadn't like, like Zion was going nuts. Luke was going nuts, but like Jordan wasn't going nuts. Kobe wasn't going nuts. And so I bought two Jordan 86 Fleers PSA 10s for like, I think I was in them at a total of 175. And I, and I sold them back to back. And like, I, I think I, the total I got back was like 275 or 300. And I want to, I just went on this rant calling out, calling out, Basically, because Gary was getting a lot of high-level influencers like Steve Ioki and other people like that. And what he was doing, he was kind of handing them over to Jason Koontz at OSHA Sports, OTIA Sports. And Jason was kind of building these investment packages for them. And, and, and they have, there's this world of high-end collectors kind of getting influenced by Gary and Jason. And I'd like to say, I don't think that Jason or Gary had bad intentions. Yeah. I just think that, like, the market was talking so much about this stuff and they had friends who were like you're in this stuff i want to get in this stuff i'm bored as shit help me get into sports cards and then you had sports card investor kind of talking about modern 50 cards that could become 300 cards and i was like look while you two clowns are talking about this stuff i just made one hundred fifty thousand dollars on the side flipping jordan 86 flares so like who's the expert here fellas like um and just kind of calling them to the mat 
because we started to see a lot of volatility in the stuff that, 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 that they were talking about. Um, and some of Gary's real high net worth friends reached out to me because they were really scared about their portfolios. And um, a lot of it was actually okay. A lot of it was very scary stuff um, that, that they kind of been kind of bought. Um, and look, it's kind of a two-sided street. Like on one hand, I do think that if you're talking about card investments, I think you need to be offer disclosures. I try to tell people like, this is what I'm doing. This is my collection. This has no basis on what you should be doing. I think there could, there could have been a little bit more of that in the early days, but also on the flip side, people do have to be accountable with their own money and dollars. And, and, you know, so it's a a two-sided, two-way street and, um, you know, and it's just sort of, I've just continued to grow my collection and, and and I've become more comfortable with this stuff, sports cards and sports memorabilia, I'm not going to say I'm more comfortable with it as an investment, but I'm comfortable with it as a store of value. Yeah, and I'm glad I I'm glad I chose this stuff as a store of value over Bitcoin or NFTs or any number of other things. And so, you know, today it's just kind of constantly curating and fine tuning and adding stuff, selling stuff, and trying to you know make it fun and, and honest. I love well, that. There's, there's a couple of things um, that you just touched on that I just wanted to reiterate because you talked about this, this concept. So I love hearing the fact that the Instagram kind of started up for you alongside what was going on with this most recent boom. And by the way, we have a mutual friend, Dave of Sign and Slab. Um, he likes to uh, refer to my admiration <laughs> uh, of, of yourself, Patrick. I think what the, the, the main key that sometimes Dave is forgetting is the, the reason why I immediately glommed on and, and started following your content is because there's a lot of parallels there. I believe we're both 1980 babies. And not it's not only that. I mean, you're just completely accurately touching on every level. You know, you get into, you know, you get into university, you get into school, you're going to be distracted and not, not, as, not as into it. I came back in 1718 as a result of the tops releases and the rookie crops. Um, I was on eBay as early as 97, 98. I was buying slabs from Keith Olbermann. I was the only kid on my block who had graded cards at the time. It was a relatively new and novel concept. Um, very mysterious. You have to be a member, you know, to, to, to get the cards graded. And then mind you, you know, Beckett comes along and that sort of thing. You said some things don't change. I believe you were referring to uh, the smelly uh, patrons of, uh, of card shows, but some things don't change. I, I, I know this is kind of general here. And by the way, there are still waves of those guys coming into the hobby that you mentioned that are in your DMs to this day. In fact, I mean, just on a ground level uh, at the store where, where I left my shades, um, that is something I'm seeing a bit more lately now that there's been a bit of a lull, um, so to speak. Um, but what I'm getting at is the fact that uh, when you say some things don't change, I see so many parallels um, that that eBay, you know, that 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 coming uh, to the to the forefront with eBay and people being able to use that marketplace. And as you said, an excellent marketplace to advance your own collection by finally being able to move so much of your stuff on a high level. Um you know, you know, I mentioned Keith Olbermann and a couple other guys were driving what was essentially a pump. If you want to use that term, I hate that term, but a drive to get these slabs out there and tell people how great, you know, 
Mark McGuire rookie cards are and how great Barry Bonds rookie cards are. And people are finally starting to talk about Tiffany and Glossy and all and all the parallels. I know it's a, it's a, it's a big question here, but you are you're in the same seat I'm in seeing all this stuff, witnessing it and having a great perspective on it. What do you what do you notice that is similar? I mean, I, we might know it might be obvious, but I'm, you know, just giving you an opportunity. What do you see that's similar and what do you see that is, you know, different or drastically different? Sure. It's a gr- great question. Great point. Because in my one of my last um, where I revealed kind of my iconic 100 cards. And by the way, the idea for my 100 card case came from David Ratliff of Simon Slab because we were sitting around at a, a TriStar shirt. And he's like, what if you could only keep 10 items? What if you could only keep 100 items? And I was like, you know what? My collection is getting really unyieldy. Um, so let me put it all in one box. You know, and it's basically like if I'm running out of the house, I'm grabbing this yeah, one exactly. box. In yeah, the fight. Yeah. You know? yeah. um, but all, and it's provided me a lot of guard, helpful guardrails, right? And so I kind of, I, I probably every year I kind of update it. A video, I do an updated video list or whatever. And so one of the cards I referenced when one of the recent videos was Jay-Z. 2005 Tops Basketball, maybe it's six, 2005 Tops Basketball. And I was like, you know, Jay-Z was a sports card influencer like 15 years before it was cool, you know, but he was a, he was a spokesperson, right? And so like, you know, and, and you talk about Keith Olbermann, I was opening up some Tops product and like, there's like an endorsement from Keith Olbermann for the product, you know? And um, generally the spokespeople back then were doing a pretty good job of talking about, you know, collectability and, and, and right. those things. But like, yeah, you, you definitely, I think, I think that those people could have been called on the mat a little bit um, because to your point about like Olbermann was selling actively uh, and buying stuff actively, you know, one of the things about, you know, where the early days of eBay or when like a new release came out on eBay, the one similarity to what we're seeing today is like the mania around it. Like, like kind of the Brock Purdy crap that we just, we just yeah. lived through, right? Like, yeah. like, Hey, the first person to get up a, you know, 2001 Ichiro Suzuki top traded raw card, it would go nuts, you know, um, like really nuts. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, and so like, we sort of still see those parallels, um, you know, but I do think that because like Jay-Z was a spokesperson for tops as Olbermann, like we all kind of put on our, like our, rose colored glasses or kind of, you know, we took it with a grain of salt being like, well, clearly they're promoting this. They're being paid. Right. So here's what was different about the influencers. Then the influencers, then it was obvious they were influencers. They were paid spokespeople, Olbermann, Jay-Z. And actually there's a couple others. And then now we're like, Hmm, these influencers, like, you know, again, Jeff Wilson, particularly his team, Tyler teapot. Have you had teapot on? I feel like no, you guys haven't. Um, great group of people. There's they're doing some really good stuff. I just don't think Jeff really kind of understood the mechanics of his influence per se. And like he told his audience like months after the fact that he he was like actively selling. And it was like, ah, come on, man, that's a little dicey, you know. Yeah. Um, and so he was an influencer. He wasn't a spokesperson. But he was being paid by the growth of the market and whatnot. And again, I don't think Jeff had ill will or nefarious intentions. I just think he got kind of caught up in the mania that a lot of us got caught up in. Yeah. And I kind of want to touch on that too. Like much to what you were talking about previously, where, you know, if you're talking about like from an investment perspective and and supposedly, I mean, Jeff has an investment background. 
once things start to hit certain thresholds, like it only makes sense to sell, you know, like just kind of what you were talking about previously with with the, the Giannis's, right? Like once it's two, four, eight X, you're like, okay, like this is like ridiculous. Like I, I, I have to sell because it's the only thing that makes sense at this point. And so, you know, because I think there was a massive uh, hole in terms of like content with sports cards. I feel like there wasn't a lot of people creating sports card related content at the time. Uh, I mean, he built an entire brand in that gap. And, you know, with that brand came exponential growth where anything that he spoke about, I mean, automatically became the go-to because people were searching for knowledge in that like ever growing space. And like it was growing quite quickly and quite rapidly. Right. So um, I, I think I would agree with you that I, I don't, think that he was pumping things with the intention of of selling them immediately following that but i do think that they reached certain thresholds that like he was like okay I, like i can't possibly hold on to this at this price yeah and what i tell people and i've said this a few times is like if if you're holding a card and you wouldn't buy it at that current price then like you're probably a seller yeah now there's certain PC items where that becomes really hard for some people. And that's why I talk about like, you know, people beat up the 86 Flair Jordan PSA 10. People beat up the exquisite LeBron. It's like we constantly see them. And I'm like, look, there's people that are still holding those at a cost basis of 10, 20, 30, $100,000 where the profit to be had is borderline life-changing in some people's situations. And like maybe their life situation changed last week. And that's what's prompting them to sell today. Um, and so, yeah, everything you have to be cognizant of, of that. And like the real world of like, I can take my entire family of eight people to Walt, Walt Disney World for an entire year and have paid for it with just the profit, not even the cost basis, just the profit of this card. I do hope people take those real reality checks and sell a card every once in a while. Now, Patrick, I was gonna I was gonna hold off on this till a bit later on, but I'm gonna go right into it because you mentioned the potential nefarious intentions that can or cannot exist with some of these very prominent influencers right now that we have in this space. I mean, uh, along with yourself, there were so many other feeds that started up around the time of I want to refer to it as the lockdown because of what we went through here in Canada, but the uh, the pandemic. Um, you know, I, I like I like I said, I was uh, I was I found myself um, pulled in by accounts more like yours, card porn at the time. So I was engaging very early on with these accounts that appealed to me on the level of analysis and pushback potentially. And then you had guys like Jeff Wilson who were all like, you know, this the hobby's great. Let's get into it. Let's start investing. That probably put me off because, like I mentioned to you, I've been doing this a long time. So I didn't necessarily need anyone to tell me how to buy things or what I wanted to buy. Now, look, if you're a prominent figure, at some point, you are going to be accused. You are going to be looked at as if you have nefarious intentions. I've gotten into it with people uh, regarding yourself. Uh, I myself have a pretty good read on uh, certain uh, influences, especially now after I've spent so much time talking to, to, to individuals. Um, I myself, I am not a quote unquote prominent person in the scene, but I, even I, I, I was at one point very roughly being accused of working for PSA, which I found hilarious. Um, how do you respond 
to these things, Patrick. I mean, I've seen you respond and you always uh, carry yourself well here, but I'm giving you an opportunity to kind of reflect maybe how you uh, how you kind of react to, there's always haters. Yeah. When you got haters, you're doing something right. How do you react to the haters, Patrick? Well, you know, I, I do think that, you know, it's become a lot lesser of the situation since the market mellowed out um, right. and, and because I was such a contrarian voice. And I was also a little uh, prickly, um, for sure. Like I definitely, my IG lives would definitely be R-rated in content just due to the number of curse words. I think that my entire PC card case, it would definitely be a, a PG or PG-13. So just understanding your audience, I think, is, is, is one aspect of it. But, but I'll stay like, look, like, check the receipts. You know what I mean? Like, it, at the end of the day, um, you know, what, what actually happened and what actually transpired is, is, is what matters. There are going to be people who have, um, uh, I don't want to, jealousy is not the right word, but like, it's more that they feel better with the story that they concocted, right? Yeah. Like, so someone that their world became more comfortable if they believed that you worked for PSA. Okay. Right. Now, some people, they can be easily talked out of that illogical position. Other people can't. And so like, you just sort of have to like know where you're going to pick your battles and, and and how far you're going to take a back and forth with someone. Um, like with, with like the box breakers, for example, like I, I think that box breaking, um, I think it's a horrific use of funds. Um, I do think that like a lot of it would be considered um, gambling, depending on how you look at it. I think I think there's a lot of problems with it, but at the end of the day, it's so big. I stopped really complaining about it. All, I used to live it all the time because yeah. it was so bad. But like at this point, I'm not going to change it. And look, if, if the hobby keeps growing and growing and growing and growing and Fanatics wants to replicate what Whatnot and Loop are doing, they're going to be dealing with it. OK, so yes. like j just try to educate people on, on possibly better ways of spending their money. Um, so I will say that, like people that made their money breaking, people who made their money flipping modern cards. Yes, the attacks were very venomous and daily and somewhat difficult. Uh, but we just had to get through calmer times. And all of a sudden me giving people advice like, hey, rather than like buying a Zion PSA 10 for 200, you could go to this baseball card show and you could get Hakeem to sign an item and Clyde Drexler to sign an item. And that would cost you $200. And you met them and got pictures of them signing your items. Like, I don't know. I just think that that might be a better use of your $200 than the Zion PSA 10. And when I was talking about that in late 2020 and early 2021, people wanted me dead. Like, how dare you tell people to spend their money anywhere yeah. but modern prism? Like, what are you trying to do to my lifestyle? What are you trying to do to my my entire content stream? I'm like, look, dude, I'm just offering suggestions that might be a slightly more enjoyable or more steady way of spending one's money and time in the hobby. And as things have settled out, like people can't really dispute that. Like if you went to Ryan Fitterman's show or the TriStar show and spent $1,000 on autographs, not only did you get about $1,000 worth of autographs, you got to meet some pretty cool people. So, you know, you can't, there's no, there's no arguing against that any longer. It's just what it is, you know. Yeah, and, and along along the lines of that logic, and that's what it is. It's logic. Uh, I, a logic offends a lot of people these days. I notice, but you were one of the first per, first people. In fact, you may have been the only one at a certain point that was discussing elements of regulation 
accountability, the dangers in breaking it, which just seemed to me so obvious, but so many people were overlooking that. And you were not, and again, like myself, you were not dismissing the concept. I understand why breaking exists. I understand why for some people it's almost essential if they want to be ripping, but they can't afford or find the actual product itself. But I found it all very level-headed in the sense that I mean, look, you, you're, look I, you're in your lives, you're, you're ripping product that looks like you're dipping into your stash, which I like to do every once in a while. And you, and you do seem to be often very, uh, very lucky with the stuff that you hit, especially lately. But lately, honestly, well, lately, I'll you've been on a tear. Yeah. You know, like, why be negative? Right. Yeah. Like, right. now, but I'm also very honest. Like, I, I will rip something like, oh, I just turned $1,500 into $100 and I laugh it off. Yeah. Um, so there's a balance there. Uh, but but anyway, to your point about yeah, talking about regulation and stuff. Yeah, I just wanted to say real quick, Patrick, when you pulled that Cade Cunningham one of one, the all you did was look at it. Um, you analyzed it. The fact that it was like a dick sporting goods shoe for all you knew. <laughs> but you admired it and you thought yeah. it was really cool while people were freaking out in your life. Not once. Did you claim that you just pulled a hundred thousand dollar car yeah, yeah, yeah. card or that you're about to get yourself a new Tesla? You you just admired it and moved on. And I loved that element in, in watching you uh, crack that product. I've just, just gotta say. Well, well, I appreciate that. I mean, I I wanna be even keeled. I mean, so I, I had a teacher in high school who wouldn't take aspirin when he had a headache. And the reason was because he wanted, when he was old and really needed pain relief, he wanted the aspirin to work really well. <laughs> and so, nice. you know, I want to get excited for the stuff that like, you know, a friend having a baby, you know, a friend getting a promotion <laughs> at work. Like, I want to have my endorphins ready to celebrate those things, not love pulling that. a Kate Cunningham rookie car, <laughs> you know. I so so I, I, I take a lot of real world perspective in, in, in my approach to the hobby. Um, and that's why I talk about regulations. I am in ticketing and, you know, there's face values, there's, there's season ticket holder costs, there's, you know, all these different resale laws and stuff. And, you know, we spend a lot of money as a company, general counsel, outside counsel. So, you know, in, in terms of that concept of regulation in ticketing, we have heavy investments in general counsel and staying aware of local laws because there's state laws, there's federal laws, there's laws in Canada. And I was like, man, it's kind of crazy. Like the ticket markets are way more transparent and way less volatile than these card markets, particularly the breaking. So I was just like, if the ticket markets and they're not regulated, but there's some, you know, there's some oversight for lack of a better term. It's like these card markets are operating no oversight. It's like, guys, be very careful. You know, like it, it, <laughs> a lot of what you're doing and a lot of what makes you money like if, if there's regulation in a big way, your margin goes to almost zero, you know, and, and, and just trying to educate people on the, on that possibility um, and, and, and whether or not maybe it helped some people, but I think it helped people understand the severity of the, the or the reality of, of, of all that. And, and also like, and also with minors being involved, let's be honest. Right. I mean, I mean, it's crazy, right? Like, so if you're a kid and you work all and you cut like two yards a day, and you make $40 a yard and you're making, so let's just say you make $300 to $400 a, a week cutting grass and it's in your Venmo account. You can spend that money on box breaks very simply and very quickly and very easily. And, and, and so, yeah, like it's crazy. Like it's, it's the fact that, yeah, you could turn 
30 hours into hard work cutting grass into $5 of common mosaic cards, you know, yeah, that probably shouldn't happen without some oversight. Patrick, are our backyard breaks uh, receiving juice cases? How do you feel about this? Man, it certainly seems that way, but I'll tell you, I, I did an IG live where I reviewed, I went into the backyard and spent like a couple thousand dollars on oh, Saturday right. morning. I remember that. And yeah. So a couple things is it's way more entertaining than I think they get credit for. Um, like it, it's way more fun than a casino in my opinion. And I, again, I spend that $2,000 like in an hour. I mean, I, you can see things getting rowdy and out of hand very quickly and for a long period of time and you just keep chasing and chasing and chasing but what's clear to me is that this was a sunday morning at like 9 a.m central and there were like three active backyard breaks going on i think like peak times like wednesday and thursday nights like they're just ripping so much product you know and it doesn't behoove them to say hey for every logo man we got we got a thousand shit boxes, yeah. right? So like they have to manage their PR and their marketing very tightly. Cause I can tell you that like, yeah, it sort of seems loaded, but they're ripping so much product. So like People. they probably don't want to come out and show everyone the spreadsheet of yes, <laughs> we did get two of the better pools, but look at all the garbage boxes that our customers stuck down their throats, right? Yeah. Like, so it could be somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, I mean, again, this stuff being manufactured, there's not somewhat like, you know, like how the, the monopoly pieces got manipulated, the McDonald's monopoly McDonald's pieces. ones. Yeah. Yeah. I'm and those things had like, cause they were being made in the same facility as lottery tickets and stuff. I've actually toured a lot lottery ticket facility. There's like armed guards and stuff. There's no armed guards at these printing plants that are ripping off the guys on the printing press don't know that, like, here comes a million-dollar logo, man. They don't know. I mean, I'm sure they know? do now. There's no way that they don't know now, you know? Right. like, Well, they know now, but, like, yeah. if some guy got access to the printing plant and was wearing a suit and, like, was like, oh, hey, I need to just grab these 10 cards here, you know, I'm going to put them in the – no one's going to stop them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, you know, there could have been some funny business. I think it's a combination of, yeah, maybe a couple loaded cases inadvertently – but I think it's also like they rip so much stuff and they absolutely don't want to admit how much product they're going through because it would scare everybody. It's um, so it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, it's a great point. I also kind of want to touch about a uh, touch upon something that cartel and I spoke about probably like two or three episodes ago. We were talking about, you can really tell a lot about a person when they open product. And uh, one of the things we mentioned is like, uh, do they just skim through the cards and look for the hits? And, you know, every time I see you open product, it yeah. there's like a story attached to every single player <laughs> that gets pulled. You know, it's like it's like so, like some sort of tidbit of knowledge, and I actually love that because number one, it shows that like, or you'll 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 mention the the photography in this one, or you know, this is actually this this card is nice, but you should see his 2003 Stadium Club, like so, something that like links this player to the hobby and other prominent sets or or some other tidbits uh of this player's life um i think that's fantastic and, and it's like to what we talked about previously like it says a lot about you because i've never once seen you skim through a box and look for the most expensive card in in the box right um and i think that in itself kind of shows 
I mean, you, you mentioned previously as well that, you know, you might have been like very lucky in, in you know, some of the come up with your collection. But I don't think it's luck at all. I think that you were just doing the exact same things that you had been doing for decades, just maybe transitioning a little bit um, and pivoting in some ways. But at the end of the day, I mean, if you care about this shit, you care about this shit. And I think that the biggest thing moving forward for most people is that if you don't care about this, you're going to find out pretty quick when you're you're down pretty bad. And if you do, I mean, you're kind of going to be collecting at your own price range, regardless of if shit is up, down, sideways, backwards. Like, I mean, if things are too expensive and you buy less of it or maybe go in a different direction. Um, and if they are too cheap, you're like, I'm buying. I, I will not stop buying. Right. So uh, I wanted to kind of pay you some respect in, in not only how you rip product, but how you've come to this point as well. So, well, I, I appreciate that. And I do think, so I was at the TriStar show for a day this weekend. I want to be there longer. And I also there's, so there've been some reports from some shows where like there's more tables and there's a lot of activity in a certain dollar range. And there were, TriStar sold 40 more tables than any previous show. Now I'm not going to say that that means the hobby is alive. I don't like that term. No. The hobby to me is never dead. Yeah. Um, what I think we might be going back to is I remember shows with the smelly people or not smelly people, whatever they're but like people would have lists, like handwritten lists of what they were looking for. And I think what happened during the hype, it was like, I'm looking for Patrick Mahomes. I'm looking for Joe Burrow. I'm looking for Trey Young. I'm looking for LaMelo Ball. And it was like, it was so, everyone was focused on the same broad yet very targeted things, right? That no one needed a list. But now it felt like I saw people, I don't want to say I saw physical lists, but I, it just seemed like people were being a little bit more deliberate um, and understanding, well, if I'm going to spend my $500, I want to make sure I actually like the card. Um, and to that point, it's I'm like, look, look, I've come out and I've bashed the Dick Sporting Good jerseys on National Treasures and other products. But also, like in my case, like I've got the 2018 Luca Prism, which is a big reason my collection is my collection. I'm like, I think that this card is just ugly. Like the tire tracks in the background, like I don't know if the design of this card is going to hold up all that well. So like we say it's iconic because what it did for the hobby, but like in 15 years, like, this is an ugly card. Like yeah. 88 Donruss, 88 Donruss is like an ugly set. Like it is no, there's no nostalgia bringing us back to 88 Donruss. I mean, it's just an ugly set. I think the 2018 Prism might be more <laughs> like 88 Donruss. Whereas you can look at some stuff like, 89 tops really cool looking design you know like and that's those are just yeah it's an opinion but like with time opinions become a little bit more crystallized and that's where that the definition of iconic kind of comes in and so when i think about like opening cards like i do care about the photography and i do want to tip my cap to tops because i do look at bobby witt's flagship i look at julio jones flagship i look at wander's flagship i'm like they were intentional with the photos they picked. Like, these are good photos of these guys. Like, man, like, the Wander card where he's, like, kind of turning, it's like, yeah. what a great card. Like, I, I hope this guy, like, I hope those guys have great careers because their flagships are like Trout's. Like, Trout was, like, this great-looking flagship rookie. Like, in this period of five years before him, five years after him, there really weren't great-looking flagship rookies. And now they're, like, Let's try to make it look a little bit more like the trout. Let's prop it, you know, so it's not a not just a half body, three quarters body. Like, like 
and the Julio just looks great. Like it's like I want to root for this guy. Like yeah. it, it's so aesthetically pleasing. Um, and so shout out to Tops. I think that's deliberate. I think we might see more of that. And and I think that where people's eyes can get drawn to a player in the moment. And Tops took some criticism because like you know, obviously, I, I think they're releasing too much chrome, like chrome atomic, chrome toilet paper, uh, <laughs> chrome, chrome, chrome cosmic atomic. I mean, we're running out of spatial analogies to call these things. There's but some, Sonic, some Sonic. Like, don't forget Sonic as well. You know, Sonic, Sonic, atomic, cosmic, astronaut. I mean, it's the gilded era. I'm like, what is all this stuff? But Lord um, of the Rings, some, man, everything. It's unbelievable. So some guys on Blow were like. There are six different images of Julio from his his debut game, and I'm like, that's actually awesome. Like, I I actually want the if like the rookie debut like the little tagline. People don't really like it, but I'm like, I don't know. Like Mookie Betts debut card, the rookie debut with like yeah. the Yankee Stadium facade, and it's like this guy's career is entering his the career in Yankee Stadium. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, Oh my goodness, you know, like versus just some sort of generic image, yeah. you know. So for rookie cards in particular, like people have gone back. What what game was it that LeBron's top chrome was shot at? So like, I do think that like we're seeing people kind of dig into what I think a lot of us old school people always liked was like cool designs or very simple designs or cool pictures or artistic pictures. I think people are starting to catch up to the sneaker world. Because that's where all the sneaker content is. It's about the the design. What? It, oh, this is kind of like this. Looks kind of like that. If we can keep up that momentum of comparing cards and eras and pictures and stuff, I think that like it makes everything safer and, quite frankly, more fun. Yeah, you, you mentioned eighty eight Donners. Nineteen ninety Donners wasn't doing us any favors either. Uh, I'm trying. I'm, I'm drawing a oh red. The red. The, the red, red with the paint splatter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, you know, ushering in the 90s, but just not in the most aesthetically pleasing way. Um, yeah, but, hang no, on, though, but hang on, though. 90 oh. Donruss gave us the reverse negative Juan that's, Gonzalez. That's, that's right. That's that's infamous. Nice. So I've got signed copies of both versions, the regular version and the reverse negative. And I've got to get it re-slabbed to say reverse negative. Um, the, the, but era, again, the era of misprints and errors and, you know, Love it. Yeah. Tom Blavin uh, and John Smoltz reversed images of each other. Um, you know, and it's funny, like these one Gonzalez I mean, cards. Dale Murphy in Upper Deck is to me just so, it just captures the era as well. So it does. And, and so, like, what, what does sort of bother some people when you talk about like hobby beefs is the fact that, like, I get legitimately excited about these one. Like, this excites me. Like, I get more excited holding these cards and like a LaMelo ball card. Yeah. Just, I don't like LaMelo, but the point is, is like to me, when I'm like just looking at something and holding it, I care more about like what it means to me and less about like the value. Yeah. You know, is, that, is, is it because it brings you, I mean, for me, is it because it brings you back to that, that time and, and moment and, and era? Well, yeah, because like, I, you know, we, David Ratliff on his, when he did some of the PWCC iconic 100 videos, you know, he brought us back to like the 89 hoops, David Robinson and the pandemonium of like ripping packs. And like, this was also the era when video stores and gas stations were selling cards. So like you could, you know, your gas station maybe could have gotten a hoops almost by accident. 
and they could almost have the David Robinson in there. So like, yeah, we were ripping 1990 Donruss like crack fiends looking for the reverse negative Juan Gonzalez and looking for David Justice. I mean, it's you know, like John John Olerud over here. We were looking for John Olerud. The 1990 upper deck John Olerud card. I mean, I can picture it clear as day. He's got his his first yep. baseman's helmet. Yeah. <laughs> Not his yep. batting helmet. Yeah. You know, then like the stories of like John Olerud telling this story of like like years later, Ricky Henderson being like, "Oh yeah, I played with the guy who wore a helmet out in the field." Uh, and John was like, "That was that was me, Ricky." <laughs> you know, like, like those are the moments, right? That's like, hilarious. Like those are the stories where it's like a card can be so much of a conversation. Besides, just like, well, it's worth fifteen dollars. Exactly. What what else is behind it? You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, John Alt and like that whole nineteen ninety era, hot 90, 1991, Todd Van Toppel, Brian Taylor. John Allroot, Kevin Moss. I mean, you know. Yeah. Now you you echoed you echoed. Um, now now Patrick, this was the episode that was penultimate to our last episode. Penultimate, Patrick. I was I was watching you live. You were having trouble with that. Um, and where we talked about '90s hockey cards, and but we also touched on the fact, like you said, shows are huge right now. The, these shows we've had in a major metropolitan city, Toronto, are just getting bigger. There's more activity. Yes, you know, in certain sectors, certain certain value ranges. Um, but people are carrying lists and people are curating things and looking for things far more specifically. Everything you just said. And uh, talking about iconic photography, it immediately made me think of the 2015-16 Upper Deck Young Guns, Connor McDavid. Uh, and that's me, in a not-so-sly way, getting you to speak on a, a sector of the hobby, being hockey. Now, you're in Houston. Uh, you got that amazing throwback jersey behind you. You talked about that Altuve card on your live. I uh, know it's not probably the biggest sport, but you, you something that's pretty clear is you've got your eyes on everything and you've got your eyes on trends. Uh, are you are you buying any hockey currently? I'm sh- I, I know there's Gretzky's in, in the collection and that sort of thing. What do you think of that market? What are you looking at if you are? So uh, there's a couple of things to be said about the hockey market. So I was actually just listening to an interview with Dave Portnoy of Barstool talking about their podcast, Spitting Chicklets. And like, they're like, like if you're a big hockey fan, you know, Spitting Chicklets. But if you're not a hockey fan, like it might not ever cross your purview. No. And like, those guys interviewed Wayne Gretzky, like spitting chicklets can get whoever they want on their hockey podcast. Well, and, and not every barstool podcast can say that. Whereas spitting chicklets owns the hockey world. And it's just like, basically like and hockey is a little bit like wrestling. So I think there's some parallels where like, um, if someone like, if someone's a hockey fan, like 90% of their disposable income goes to hockey. If right. someone's a wrestling fan, like 90% of their disposable income goes to, goes to wrestling. And so in some ways, it's almost intimidating to like try to get into it because like you're dealing with like some really nuanced, some really knowledgeable collectors and sort of, you know, parts of understanding the history of it. I mean, I've joked about this before. Hulk Hogan's Wikipedia page is longer than Abraham Lincoln's. Okay, there have people who have broken down every Hulk Hogan match 
as if it's like, you know, a world war. I mean, it, it, you know, and, and I think hockey is similar in terms of when people talk about different shifts and eras of cleats and eras of, you know, when, when the defenders were scoring more than they are today and all this stuff, it's kind of mind boggling. And so to me, and, and then, the, then the other incongruency, okay, is Tom C. Check out my cards. Okay. Yes. It is, it is so flooded with cheap hockey cards. And the reason is, is because I think that because of shipping across the border, so many people who are ripping volumes and volumes and volumes of car uh, hockey uh, in Canada, just bulk ship, ship it to Comsi. And it's like, how are there a thousand, like if, if a guy is not a big time player and he's a young guns, there's like a thousand of them on there. You know, like there's more like of, of like just a mid-tier young guns player from two years ago. There's more of his young guns than there are Jordan Alvarez base cards. So people it's are like collecting those sets. People are building those sets. It's 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 so it's kind of wild how like there's just this content. So like um I saw someone in some chat and it started to make sense. It's like so what happens is people like me who want to have a little bit of hockey, they're drawn towards exquisite young guns or the cup, right? And then these other guys like, why is like Jack Hughes stature, you know, the stature set, which I think is a yeah. great set. Why is it selling for like a fifth of like his? <laughs> We've you know what I mean? Podcasts on this. Yeah. And, and um, you know, I, I can't explain it. Um, and, but it's also kind of like, what was I looking at recently where I was just shocked at like what a premium it was getting? I, you, maybe you it was a car. The, you should see the pop reports on McDavid rookies in gem. Right. Again. Very high. Right. Um, and, and so I think that with hockey too, I mean, it, it comes down to like, if, if every, and I also talk about just in general, like a lot of these card guys don't go to games in general. Like I got bashed by a guy I no longer follow Chris house of Jordan, because like he was going on and on about the stock market. And I did this big thing. And I was like, like, would you rather own a $1,500 card or sick court side? And he blew me up over that. And maybe I was wrong that more people would rather have the card than sick court side. But like, there's this disconnect of like people actually like enjoying the sports and like, you know, collecting the cards. At least you see Jeff Wilson taking his kids to games and stuff like tip of the cast. And you see Ken Golden taking his family to games and stuff. All the time. Whereas a lot of times yeah. we never, these most, do you guys even watch this stuff? Like, what are you guys doing? You know, so if you took any of these people to a playoff hockey game, a seven game series to game five where it's tied to two, you, you, I don't care who you are, you are sitting on the edge of your seat or even just watch it in a great lively sports bar. Hockey needs more exposure because playoff hockey, if you just know a few aspects of it, it really is insanity. It is insanity. It's like how the World Cup took over. So if hockey could have some type of thing, to take over the way uh, the way the World Cup did, and everybody watched all these World Cup games. I mean, I think hockey's got a ton of potential, but look, there are some limiting factors. Like, it's so expensive to play in Texas. So expensive, yeah. You know, and then I've got buddies, and then and then if you want to, if you, I got a couple buddies whose kids are in Detroit. Okay, you're playing for the little Caesars team or this tire. You know, like it's like real deal stuff, and they're spending like six figures a year. So it's, you know, there's lots of pros and cons to hockey, but at the end of the day, the great one's the great one. Um, Ovechkin's going to have some pretty key records. Uh, Crosby's got a couple key rings. You know, these guys are pretty collectible. And so, like, it still blows my mind what these quarterbacks 
are getting versus what Ovechkin and Crosby are getting. So I'm not saying that you should go out and buy Ovechkin and Crosby. I'm saying like, if you're currently overpopulated in NFL quarterbacks without Super Bowls, maybe you want to rebalance with a little bit of hockey and a couple other things. When you're talking about reaction and actually being involved in the sport, watching it, enjoying it, appreciating it, I'm going to segue to another one of my personal favorites. And again, something that you touched on in a recent live because you shared with us the Conor McGregor Bloodlines autograph rookie card. You want to talk about crowds reacting? McGregor, Aldo. You, 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 want, to talk, you want to talk about Bonner, Griffin. Um, I, you know, I, t- I try to get myself in a group of people one way or the other, if I can't get there alive to see UFC fights, because there's nothing like it. Um, how do you feel about that segment there? You shared the McGregor, which is an important card. He, he is important to the sport, regardless of how people view him at this point or where he might be in quote unquote rankings. Um, but I, there's always talk about, you know, bringing events to, to Texas. There've been some big events. Derek Lewis, I need this guy to get back on a winning streak. I love that guy so much. Um, how do you feel about uh, the UFC? And uh, we we had a little bit of interplay on some stories recently. I contend that it is a strong market. I contend that yeah. the, the wax is doing all right because of all the new fighters. I know yeah. there's a talk about individuals versus team sports. What, what do you think of that? So, so you're right. I, I shouldn't have lumped you because my complaint was like some of these products like WWE, I guess there's a couple others where like there's just not a guaranteed rookie crop every year. But UFC actually does does have uh, a little bit more steady of, of people coming up. So what I say about UFC is like I will say in person, it's actually hard to watch. So I actually would not recommend someone's first UFC engagement, even if they have like seats in the first five rows, seeing through the cage or then being far enough up to see into the cage, it's actually kind of a tough in person. It's awesome in person. We got to you got to have different expectations. Go to a Hooters, okay? The first go. time I ever watched UFC was in a packed Hooters, and I was like, "This is awesome!" So like, like this is probably like the Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz era. Like my buddy Keith and I, like we wouldn't tell anybody because we were embarrassed, but like we would like slunk off to the Hooters and like watch UFC. <laughs> and it was just like the most entertaining Neanderthal stuff. It was really good. And so like what I've seen, and this is like what, that's like what, 15 years ago, 17 years ago. Like today, what's crazy is that energy exists with the Nelk boys and Dana White and uh, Patty the Batty and uh, the guy at the hair um, who's still in the man. private. Yeah. Sh- Sean, no, Sugar Sean. And it's like, okay, if if any of these guys could talk about their cards, if the Nelk boys would rip some UFC high-end product with Dana, the shit would take off. Like yeah, Jorge, so- Masvidal, Jorge Masvidal was uh, was there. He burnt that Kobe Colby card during a press conference. Yeah. He did some rips for Panini, but they never kept going with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, to me, right now, in terms of like, who has the eyeballs of 18 to 25 year olds? It's the Nelk boys and it's Steve will do it. And they're best friends with Dana White. Like someone at Panini, Panini such a lazy horse crap company. I'm so glad they're losing all their licenses. <laughs> their head of marketing in the U S should be ashamed. And I would call him out, but he doesn't respond to anything. Just l- call up Dana White and say, I think it'll be good for all parties. If, these guys started kind of talking about their cards or even like we've seen with some of the, uh, uh, so give, so Panini's maybe it's just NASCAR is so good about it. 
but showing these guys signing their cards and stuff, like we're seeing a lot of that. Like, dude, if Steve will do it, started ripping $10,000 boxes of rare UFC product, it would yeah. get pretty nutty. Now, I'm not saying that that should be anybody's investment thesis. I was, when I went to Qatar for the World Cup, I watched the Connor documentary from a couple of years ago. And um, I was like, this guy's still, like, we forget that the dude was like literally a bum. Like yeah. living in yeah. his girlfriend's mom's attic, okay? And like we lose sight of this because his stardom got so hot so quickly. But I was like, I kind of want to own some of it. So I, I overpaid for an orange refractor tops chrome and it's like second or third year, fourth year maybe. And then I overpaid for a green. I was like, I've got, I want to have the Irish flag. And I completely That's overpaid really cool. for these things. Right, I completely overpaid for them. But like, you know why I'd overpay? Because the, the other 49 of the oranges are buried in people's collections, right. you know what I mean? And so uh, yeah. if we saw some some people willing to shell out some big dollars, get some of those cards out, like if Steve will do it, wants to build a UFC collection, I don't know. I think it stinks so bad that Topps lost UFC and WWE because Topps Chrome is coming into its own. And, oh, brother. Um, 100%. But – I don't know. Maybe it can all get wrapped up under the, the Fanatics brand or whatever. It's just, you know, because Fanatics has autograph deals and licensing deals with WWE and UFC. Maybe they, maybe they can pull the cards away from Panini. Um, you know, I, I think not having consistency of sets in general is bad for, you know, we've seen it in golf, we've yeah. seen it in tennis, UFC, and, and I feel like UFC and WWE have been disrupted. Um you know, but it is what it is. We're kind of, we're kind of used to legacy brands. And that's why I talked about my live was like, you know what? One of the brands that stuck around, we learned this too. NBA hoops is owned by the league. So NBA hoops is going to always be a brand regardless who has the license. And then also uh, the contenders brand has lived on. Like the contenders is really the only brand. I think we're like, there's a Manning rookie. There's a Brady and Aaron yeah. Rodgers, Drew Brees. And guess what, bro? And, Trevor Lawrence have them too. So like, I don't know, I kind of nerd out on like where I can build continuity in my, my sets in my collection. There's a Hamzat Chemayev contenders rookie. So. <laughs> okay. It, it really so well. they, was that part of Chronicles or was that it inside was, of part of Chronicles that year? Yeah, man. And I've got such there hasn't been a standalone. There hasn't been a standalone contenders UFC just yet, but they, they just brought out optic. So. You know, and I've got such mixed feelings about Chronicles. Like, parts of me really like it. Parts of me, I almost wish that they would just make Chronicles cross sport. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, I think that it. I don't know. I think there. I think there's some room for more cross sport product, particularly if you're going to do NASCAR, wrestling, international soccer, and, and and UFC. And like, well, there's not enough guys to do a real contenders ticket auto set. We'll throw in the NASCAR guys and throw in the WWE guys, and then all of a sudden you got a contender set, you know. So if anybody Panini with half a brain listens, do a cross sport contender set for all these people who don't yet have contenders autos. Yeah, do do it with licenses and see how that goes because we've seen Metal Universe with without the license cross sport cross pop culture. But yeah, that that would be interesting to see with the actual licenses but yeah i like getting your perspective on these things like hockey and mma you're you're kind of uh you're aware but you're not deep into it but you know everything you're saying kind of makes sense from that outside perspective um the last question quick, I, I would say one thing with the ufc is like i think that we're having a hard time the the guy's careers seem a little short 
Is that uh, fair? Um, in in some, I mean, right now what we're seeing is like, especially with the end of the Fedor just this past weekend ended an era completely. Uh, the era of the pride guys like uh, Rampage Jackson, Chuck Liddell. Oh, okay. As well as Shogun. Now, if you look at that class of guys, they were around a long time, probably past expiration um, for a lot of them. So it really depends. I mean, the thing that we saw, the thing that's really that really stands out with me is you take a guy like Randy Couture who fought for so long, still very articulate, does guest spots on on announcing and commentary. He got through it. You know, a lot of these boxing guys, it's unfortunate what can happen when you are knocked down repeatedly to a standing eight. Um, But we are seeing a lot of injuries. We're seeing a lot of injuries. Guys up and coming like, uh, Tom Aspinall, for example, comes to mind. He was an up, up, up and coming heavyweight who perhaps one day will get in there with John Jones. Now, John Jones lost several years because of a variety of uh, controversies. So I think that's the bigger issue rather than short careers is you'll see these guys disappear for years. McGregor's been gone a long time. Right. Well, so. and, and I guess also, too, so Dana White, it, yeah, not Dana White, sorry, Joe Rogan, who's and Joe Rogan has a lot of influence. If Joe yeah. Rogan opened up some packs at UFC, he has cards. He never talks about his cards. Um, you know, Patrick, what I would, Patrick Bet David, is that his name? Yes. Yeah. And, yeah. And a couple of other people tried, and Joe was not into it. They brought slabs, they brought packs, and Joe just was not. Yeah, but they, they gifted him like a card of him or something, you know? And I don't know if he was like, man. Yeah, well, his round one rookie card is yeah, yeah, blowing yeah. up. Well, yeah, the dark borders make it tough. But like, so, so Joe Rogan had uh, Dave Portnoy on, and and a lot of the podcast was like Joe kind of explaining to to Dave like UFC because Dave was like, I'm a pretty casual fan of it, and I will say that like I started realizing like I couldn't tell you the difference between flyweight and featherweight and how it correlates to boxing, and so I do think that like if there was some central repository of like, okay, for all you idiots, like here's here's the weight classes. And then also like knowing like when a guy's more judo versus takedown versus boxing, like if there was like a grid so I could understand it a little bit better. Cause I actually do think what, um, what Rogan was talking about with Porno and why Porno I like it is like sometimes the UFC lines, if you know anything, they have the most incongruous lines. So people yes. who actually know, like some basics. Like, yeah, this guy might be 19 and 0, and the other guy's 15 and 11. So the 19 and 0 guy's the huge favorite, but he doesn't match up well with the other guy. The other guy's like a plus 400 underdog, you know? And like, I don't know. I think there's lots of opportunities for UFC. There's lots of opportunity for hockey, but it's got to be consumed in the proper format. Because if you just went to a UFC match at the Toyota Center and sat in the third row of the upper deck, which is a pretty good seat if you know what to look for, it'd be a horrific experience, you know? Yeah. But if you went to a Hooters with a buddy who could explain things to you, way different way of getting into it. Same thing with hockey. Going to, like, an October hockey game can be horrifically boring, but if you go to a playoff game in the right seats, like, both these – it's like there's been, like, not being interested again versus, like, being a fan for life. Um, And so I think people who like those two sports just need to be very good stewards of how they introduce it to people. I think there's some great great points there. Yeah. And I've got a couple minutes. I didn't, I'm glad we've had such a good conversation. So any controversial or hard hitting, let's get to those. Uh Oh, got anything (laughs) controversial or hard hitting coach? Co. Um, 
Well, we we can talk about the fact that ultra modern stuff right now. I mean, obviously there is a crazy mass production happening. Um, how do you think that stuff's going to hold up long term? So I, I saw a video recently. Someone did the math on the number of Wander Franco rookie cards or one of ones rather one of ones. Right. Um, and they estimate there's over 200 and I think it was 212. Uh, right. And they were they were being generous uh, in terms of like there's probably significantly more, but they said 212. If there's that many one of ones, I mean, it's fair to assume that there's probably, you know, 10 for every one of one. There's like an out of 10. There's an out of 50. There's an out of. So how much scarcity is there really in some of these serial numbers? And I mean, how would you correct that? And then so uh, firstly, I'll I'll just toss in my hard hitting and then you can go. Who is a who and what is a hobby watchdog? Do we need a hobby watchdog? And who would you say is the closest thing we've got to a hobby watchdog? Perfect. All right. So I'll handle Co's question. And then the hobby watchdog is a great one. Um, all right. So in terms of uh, the production stuff, uh, I think you're referencing Scotty B. I think yeah. that's the same. He wears a Rockies yeah. hat. Yeah. Um, like him a lot. I'm not, you know, it's funny. There's this universe of YouTube guys who like seemingly are only on YouTube. And there's guys like me that are kind of only on Instagram. Um, right. And we might cross paths, but we don't really engage. There's, uh, there's Chris Sewell, sports card investor dealer. That's his handle on YouTube. Yes. And that, then there's yeah. fantastic. And then there's Scotty B. It's like, guys, I wish y'all could get on Instagram because I'd love to like blow y'all up in a good way. And like, yeah. you know, and I've linked to all their videos before and I always get positive. Like, oh, thanks for sharing that. The guy's really good. You know? Yeah. Um, uh, but so Scotty B's broken it down and, and, and uh, I like, you know, he does kudos to him. He puts up pictures of the cars yeah, and, like, yeah, yeah. really well. Yeah. And like, I don't, I, I don't know what that guy does for a living. I think he's doing a very fair, good job to the hobby. So shout out to that guy. He'll probably never see because I don't think he's on Instagram, <laughs> but you guys are on YouTube. We are so on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we will tag him. We will tag him. We'll yeah, tag but him. I mean, um, YouTube for me is this and Instagram is, you know. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's so fascinating. Um, But anyway, what, what, and I did see that, um, that video that you're referencing. And it kind of was like, you know what? Pick the card and player that like you like, you know, at, at the end of the day. And I'm gravitating back towards Heritage. Just because Heritage is what kind of got me back into the hobby. Heritage has, you know, they have the base, which is super cheap. So you can have a, a J-Rod and Bobby Witt and Pena base Heritage rookie. I think like those three cards combined will cost you like 10 or ten dollars right like so you can have some real ones but then they have the nickname variations they've got like some other parallels they've got a chrome version they've got some serial numbered ones so for me i'm kind of like you know what it's also a throwback to that whatever design this year is 73 1973 design so i'm kind of like you know what if i'm gonna dabble with the new guys i'm and i, I will say so it's heritage and then also sapphire so I do think that the Sapphire sort of brand and like its exclusivity and limited nature kind of holds up fairly well. Um, and I do think that even though I like the way a lot of Topps Chrome looks, I will say like the Sapphire card, like if you were a player and you thought of yourself as a superhero, the way you sort of pop off of your Sapphire card is kind of like Superman kind of like popping through the sky. So like Heritage, old school matte feel but with some really cool chrome parallels and i love the nickname parallels and stuff so i'm and that's how i'm cutting through the clutter 
more or less heritage sapphire. You know, if something looks attractive, I'll pick it up. Um, but look, I think overproduction is kind of good because you do have like little kids opening like a couple dollar packs and be like, oh, I got a Jeremy Payne rookie or I yeah. got a Wander Frank. So like, like yeah. I think that that I think that the good of like my seven year old godson like getting a Jeremy Payne rookie in a three dollar pack. Like I think the good of that so far outweighs like. Well, you know, now the grading's back to 15 bucks. You know, Jeff Wilson's going to be sending in hundreds of them and the pop report's going to get all screwed. Who cares? Just, I mean, it, it's a, it came out of a $3 pack. You know, like, it came out of a $3 pack. What are your expectations? You know, like, settle down, everybody. But, like, you know, Ethos Pitch, uh, shout out to Ethos Pitch, because, like, he picked yes. up a Bobby, a, a Bobby Witt. That wax. thing is filthy. Oh, I can't stop talking about yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, that's. He filthy. picked it up for, and, and he said it. He got it seventeen hundred bucks, about the same as a, a Bowman Chrome Refractor PSA ten. And it's like, yeah, people. And, and here's the thing: Bowman Chrome is actually benefiting from all the confusion that Topps is creating. So I feel like a couple of years ago, once like Ronald Acuna and Soto had some big Topps cards. People like didn't want Bowman, like so Vlad too. Vlad Soto, yeah. Oh, they got big tops cards. We'll sort of screw the Bowman Chrome. And I think what's happened is people are like, well, we know Julio Rodriguez has one tried and true Bowman Chrome. What can we say about these thirty variations of tops Chrome? Um, so there's there's some momentum back towards Bowman Chrome. Um, I don't love it. I like it for what it is. Um, but like, so yeah, to that point is like, yeah, may, may, maybe now what we're saying is we're getting back to that era of segmentation where, yes, the flagship rookie card is for my seven-year-old godson who rips in a pack and thinks it's super cool. If you want to buy stuff to send in for grading, buy some Sapphire. If you want to gamble on a diverse product, buy Heritage. Or if you want something where you're just going to always know what it is, it's Bowman Chrome, you know, and the other stuff. If it looks cool or fits some niche within your collection, grab it. You know, great great perspective. And that's probably the only way I can stomach it because it it can be overwhelming and daunting. Um, You know, so moving on to Cartel's question about hobby watchdogs. Look, I I was the first person to really promote AIH sports. Uh, The guy who's got the Cubs background and he's Funkos behind him. I think like, his persona and his approach, I freaking love him. I think like he's I just think it's like, yes, like I like this guy. I like how he's direct. Um, and, and have, he's such a contrast on the show. Yeah. yeah. And he's such a contrast to card porn or sports card radio, the two twin brothers in California who are a little abrasive and they talk about their Rolexes and this and stuff. They're intense. They're intense. They're intense. And like so if you took, it's kind of like if we could take card porn's reach and <laughs> some of the brother's edginess, but then right. ultimately AIH's kind of composure, okay, we have a watchdog. You know? There we go. You, you know, um, I think individually they sometimes get off track. Um, yeah. I'm like, sometimes like they're looking, like the brothers are sometimes looking for a fight Card porn sort of looking for uh, 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 to catch someone in a lie, and AIH is looking for a conspiracy. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> hold on, guys. You know, not every day are we going to have a Scooby Doo mystery, and not every day is Brian Grant Lee going to do something stupid. <laughs> so, like, okay, guys, like, let's make 
And then when I, and I've given, I've given a couple of them shit for this. Like maybe buy a card. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. maybe, maybe open a pack on your feed, you know? Yeah. So yeah, there needs to be a, I, you know, and I look overall, I'm glad the three of them exist. Um, you know, kudos to them because they're investing time and, and I guess maybe they get clicks and the brothers make some money off YouTube ads. I don't really know. I think they're doing it more for the sport and just something to do. So kudos to them for doing that. Um, look, I, I wish there was more of like a gatekeeping. Like now, now we're talking about the, the great curator. curator. I mean, come on. There's our gatekeeper. Yeah. <laughs> but I think gatekeepers, when it's properly described, is like, hey, before you can come into this playground where there's falling knives and people with switchblades, let us give you a lay of the land, right? Like, that's how I view a gatekeeper. It's like, before you get on this roller coaster, let it, you buckle your seat, put your hands on the rail, tuck in your shirt. Like, so, you know, so a, a gatekeeper in a way wouldn't be bad for some of the wild bumps that, that, that this hobby seems to sort of encourage and inadvertently have happened. Um so I don't know, like, could, could we have a, is there a right system or a wrong system? I don't know. My main thing is, is I'd much rather have someone stumble into one of their three pages than um, backyard breaks. Yeah. You know, if, if you know what I mean? Like, so if there's an, if there's a 25 year old kid looking to spend some money in the hobby and have some fun on the weekends, I would hope he would find card porn, sports card radio, or AIH well before, or even the great curator. I'd rather find the curator before he finds backyard. So that kind of tells me that what I'm saying is I, I do like there to be some speed bumps. There needs to be a little bit of reality. Sometimes those guys, those guys go to negativity, but if you watch a, if you watch a day and a half of, um, you know, if you watch a day and a half of backyard breaks, you're going to think you're going to become a millionaire buying into their breaks you know why is this we, we did i break up no no you're good you're good all-star squadron of uh of of quote-unquote gatekeepers we can make coach co the uh director of the tiki talkie because he seems to uh know how that goes um coach co usually does a great uh extra for us but i just want to toss in real quick patrick that we are so appreciative that you uh took the time to sit down with us had a fun conversation i, I enjoyed it so much Love hearing your perspective on all these things. The Patrick Ryan collection itself, the P. Ryan collection, is important, that 100-piece that collection. It's so educational and informative just in the presentation of it, which is also, you know, inherently fun to watch and, and, and to see. So I thank you for all that you're doing for the hobby. I am not saying that anyone in this space is infallible or, or perfect, but uh, like I said, I have been drawn to your content from day one. I am very picky. Uh, I, I've been around a while, and it certainly appeals to me. I think it will appeal to the vast majority of our viewers and listeners. So I thank you again for uh, coming out. Well, and, and thanks for giving me the platform. Because like I said, I'm very light on the YouTube. And so I do think that, you know, maybe you can reach some new, I call them friends or allies in the YouTube space. I mentioned Scotty B, and I mentioned, you know, sports card investor dealer, you know, those guys, I'd love for them to know who I am. So maybe YouTube, maybe they'll come across this and and can get exposure to them just because I think they're doing such a great job and appreciate what you guys are doing. And you guys keep it very even keeled, but you also layer in your true passions, which I think is very important. So thanks for having me on here and looking forward to seeing it up on the YouTube. Appreciate it.
Team, I hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode of Cardboard Coaches. And if you haven't already, please go like, subscribe, comment, follow P. Ryan Collection, please. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. The Cardboard Coaches are out of here.